Welcome to The Gradebook, a Tampa Bay Times podcast on Florida education issues. I'm reporter Jeff Solacek, and this week we're going to have a little roundup discussion on what's been going on in our fire hose of Florida education news, trying to slow it down to a trickle a little bit so we can tell you what's really been going on. Today with me is our Tallahassee Bureau reporter, Emily Mahoney, who has been following Governor Ron DeSantis, and also going to a lot of the legislative committees, and we're going to try and break it down for you now, so take a listen. Well, Emily, it's been a super busy week and a half, two weeks, and legislative session hasn't even begun yet. Ron DeSantis is making a major announcement a day, right? It certainly feels like it. Yeah, he's keeping us busy, and so many of his major announcements have focused on education, so I'm glad that we can help parse this out. And and I thought it was funny too that, you know, for a while all those press releases said major announcement coming and then suddenly they started just saying education announcement. Did you have something to do with that? Did you convince them to change it? <laughs> well, we're always bugging them to give us more detail when they send out those press releases. So who knows? So today, which is what, Thursday? I can't even keep track of the days anymore. Today, Thursday, DeSantis was in Tampa and he was making an announcement about teacher bonuses and teacher performance pay, which is something that he promised us he would do when he released his budget last week after talking about wanting to do something with career and technical education, but before his statement on clearing the waiting lists for all of the scholarship programs. So where do you want to start with all of this stuff? (laughs) (laughs) I say let's start uh, with the announcement today and work our way backwards. But um, you said that Um, You know, he announced today a big he wants to increase uh, the teacher bonus program by four hundred twenty two million dollars, which is obviously a really substantial amount. And he wants to uh, provide a substantial bump as well in the number of African-American teachers that are participating in the bonus program. And he wants to kind of have some major changes in the way that bonus program works all together. And you, you know a little bit more than me the details of the best and brightest program and kind of the history of that. Well, let's not forget, you're right, this is one of the more controversial things that the legislature created a few years back. It was a plan to get teachers bonus money based on One, their evaluation rating, which they wanted to be highly effective because we want highly effective teachers in the classroom. But two, to have a certain score on their SAT or ACT score that they earned before they even entered college. And it earned a lot of scorn from educators, even as they scrambled to get it because they wanted more money into their pockets. They they made fun of this program and said it wasn't really any indication of whether they were good or bad teachers. Since then, they've changed the program a little bit around the edges, added more money, uh, changed the way that certain people could get it. But the bottom line is that people have still been clamoring for changes. Many wanted to go back to the whole idea of having national board certification, which they said showed what they were doing in the classroom to be excellent teachers rather than just a test score. But that doesn't seem to be the way we're headed. We're headed in a different direction that DeSantis wants to go, getting rid of the test score part, but doing something else instead. And 
Do you know exactly what it is? Because I looked at, I saw some basic details, but not a lot of details. Yeah, no, he, he did say that the test is, quote, a moment in time, and that he doesn't believe that teachers, like you said, their SAT or ACT scores should count toward their eligibility for bonuses. But as far as the new uh, way that they would be evaluated, uh, go for it. <laughs> I, I'm not sure. That's the problem. I think it, yeah. it was looking at just still using the highly effective, and I think there was something about wanting to use whether your school that you're in has made some incremental gains in performance on state school grading measures. And that that could open up a whole new can of worms because let's say that you've made tremendous gains and you've done well in your classroom, but your school as a whole did not. I know that that's a question that's going to come up probably instantly. Right. Yeah. And uh, so there's always a lot of questions with these announcements too, because as I'm sure we will say many times during this podcast that everything that the governor suggests um, and many of his major announcements over the past few days have been recommendations to the legislature. And, and, you know, he has executive powers to accomplish some of these things and to get the ball rolling, especially and to uh, especially put pressure on the legislature to do these certain things. Uh, But a lot of these details will have to be hammered out in the legislative process. Yeah, my biggest thing of all these announcements was when everybody was saying he announced that he has eliminated the Common Core. And as if he could just do that on his own. And that drove me crazy. And I know I went on Twitter for one of my very few rants. It was like a one tweet rant, but (laughs) it it just drives Well, and the announcement to uh, eliminate Common Core, or at least his executive order to take aim at Common Core, uh, was probably one of the most major of his of his other major announcements. And um, he has issued an executive order asking uh, Richard Corcoran, the commissioner of education, to spend a year basically uh, looking at the Common Core standards uh, or the state's current standards, which are largely similar to the Common Core standards, and to come up with a better set of state curriculum standards that would be presented to the legislature in 2020. Um, And so I think that, you know, that one has probably been the one that most people, uh, that generated the most buzz simply because Common Core has become a very politicized uh, thing over the past few years, and it's something that a lot of people have been talking about, and it's probably one of the more wide-reaching of the executive orders because this would affect every single public school, potentially. And what's really crazy is that, you know, the standards are things that drive curriculum, but they don't necessarily, they are not the curriculum. And so a lot of the questions about why are we teaching math this way, let's go back to the basic math. I'm not sure whether he wants to go back to 1950s style math while everybody's trying to you know, be 21st century STEM. I'm not quite sure about that. I know he wants civics in the program, but whatever they do is going to be something that will cause schools and teachers a lot of heart at burn because they're going to have to relearn and redo a lot of stuff that it took them a long time to get with the program of Common Core. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and people are, have already talked about that, you know, this could potentially be very expensive because new textbooks and new tests and everything like that are very expensive. But at least in the very early stages of this announcement, uh, we actually saw quite a bit of kind of cautious praise from everyone, from people like Richard Corcoran, who's extremely pro-choice or uh, school choice minded, uh, all the way to the teachers unions, which 
Um, you know, it's been a while since we've seen a positive reaction from the teachers union to something that was happening in state government. But the teachers union even said, you know, it's always appropriate to at least look at the standards and we'll kind of see what happens. So I think that there's general support for this idea that there needs to be a reevaluation and a step back at what Florida has as its curriculum standards, but I'm sure that there won't be nearly as much agreement when we start seeing the more specific suggestions as to what those standards should actually be. Yeah, I kind of wonder how much of it is support for anything in particular as it is support for the idea of listening to us, whatever, whoever us is, because, you know, he said, let's review this, let's go back and take a step back at this. And so the teachers are saying, yeah, we want you to listen to teachers as you do this. The superintendents and school boards and the parents all saying like, yeah, it's good that you're saying you'll listen to us while we go through this process, which is kind of what happened when Rick Scott called for changes to the standards five or so years ago. And we didn't really wind up with very many changes, to be quite honest. Yeah, that one's going to be really interesting to follow, especially because the arc of it is so long. I mean, this, like I said, this is supposed to be taking place over the next year. So we'll follow it as it keeps going. Right. And I think that, you know, we'll also be looking at what he does with the details of this teacher proposal. That's going to be controversial because there are so many teachers in Florida. But there were other things that I don't know if they were controversial or not, doing away with the waiting list for the Gardner Scholarship, which I think is a precursor to doing away with the waiting list for the tax credit scholarships, which have caused so much angst among people who think that we're bleeding the public school system dry. You covered that a little bit closer than I did. What did you hear in that conversation? So we first started hearing about this. I mean, DeSantis had hinted to the fact that he wanted to eliminate the waiting list um, before, but we actually got kind of a dollar amount when he released his budget last week, and that amount was $19 million that he is proposing that the state infuse into the Gardner program. Um, so that would completely eliminate the waiting list. And so it is a little bit unclear as to how the Florida Tax Credit Scholarship Program waiting list would be eliminated since there wasn't a dollar amount attached to that uh, in the budget that basically implies that there's going to need to be a, either a change of law or some other funding source that would come in here uh, for that purpose. So that's kind of something that we're still watching. Um, but it, it has been it has been very instructive when the budget did come out and kind of put exact figures on a lot of these proposals. His budget has already started to cause some conversations in the legislature and outside the legislature as lawmakers are starting to say things like, thank you for your budget, but, you know, we're going <laughs> to create our own at some length. But they are also like listening to his people come in and describe what it is that he wants and and discuss certain items. Today in the House Pre-K-12 Appropriations Committee, there was a little conversation about, you know, the required local effort, the amount of taxes, the tax rate, I mean, that the local school districts can charge to for gaining the amount of revenue that they need. The governor went with the three years past practice, which we've discussed at length time and again, not allowing the tax rate to go up, actually decreasing it so revenue stays fairly, fairly neutral except for new construction values. And, you know, the Democrats started asking, you know, why are we doing this? This seems to be another way that we're hurting public schools. And that conversation sort of ended with, we're probably going to do it again. Thank you very much from the chairman, Chris Latvala. But 
you know, he left the door open for some conversation. So we'll see. But that budget is filled with a lot of stuff. Were there any highlights that you saw besides the RLE part? I mean, we've mentioned the tax credit scholarships or the um, Gardner scholarships. Anything else? Right. Well, his his entire budget uh, was actually the biggest budget we've seen um, in, you know, in any from any Florida governor. It was ninety one point three billion dollars, which is an increase of more than two billion dollars from last year. And obviously, you know, the state grows in population every year. Uh, There is inflation every year. So it's not surprising that the that the budget is higher than last year, though. It is interesting that the House um, kind of immediately reacted to this budget with um, a, a statement from the speaker, Jose Oliva, saying, you know, we at, as the House would like to decrease per capita spending and not increase it. And basically saying that uh, they'll take his recommendations under advisement, but that they would like to see more reductions in spending and more cuts uh, than the governor proposed. Um, but his the governor's budget in, uh, included a $224 increase in the per student funding and FEFP. And of that, uh, $50 of that increase was for the flexible district spending, uh, the base student allocation. And that's, you know, as you and I have talked about before, Jeff, that's much higher than it was last year when the base student allocation increased by 47 cents. And, um, you know, we saw superintendents being very upset over that number and even at one point I believe calling for the legislature to come back for a special session and redo their education funding plan because it they were saying it simply wasn't enough so I think some of the meatiest uh, increases that we've seen in this budget uh, have been in the education sphere which is really interesting I know that the fifty dollars that you mentioned in the BSA the fifty dollar increase, was coming out of another part of the budget, though, during that appropriations meeting that I covered today. One little tidbit that came out was emerged when Representative Masulo from Citrus County asked, you know, where's all the money for the digital classrooms that we used to have in there? And the governor's representative said, well, we wanted to offer flexibility, so we've moved some of that millions of dollars into the base student allocation. So if you want to spend it on digital things, you can, but if you want to spend it elsewhere, you can. So Some of it might be a shell game. Some of it might not. We'll have to wait and see if it's new money or just relocated money. Mm -hmm. Definitely. The complexities in the budget never end. (laughs) So was there anything else the governor did? I know there were so many things I'm starting to lose track, but I kind of want to turn to the legislature. There was one more. We were almost there. So the the last kind of uh, major education announcement um, happened on January 30th when he announced big changes in the career and technical training sphere in higher education. Um, he kind of challenged the state of Florida to go from number 24 to number one in the nation for its workforce and technical training programs by 2030, which is, you know, a, a great political tagline. But he, in terms of actual specifics, I think the specifics were much more interesting, which is he wants the legislature to create a program that would allow students who go to a university and don't finish to get uh, an associate's degree if they earned at least that number of credits while they were in uh, in school. He also would like to create a program that would uh, basically have colleges recruit students who who are former students who dropped out and didn't finish but they if they were within 10% of the credit hours of finishing 
then they would have some kind of t tuition forgiveness for that last 10% just to kind of help push students over the last little bit to get their degrees. And so um, it, this was all really interesting. And he's been talking about vocational training uh, since the campaign. And uh, he proposed several million dollar budget items as well related to this and kind of beefing up Florida's career and technical programs, which he says are a really good way for students to have a direct pipeline into the workforce in some of Florida's bigger industries. So everything is sort of reliant on everybody else. He's made some really big, bold ideas as he's told us in his own advertisements about himself, which is really nice to remind us. And, um, <laughs> but what's really fascinating to me is I saw there was a column from the Fordham Institute. I don't know the exa exact date, but it pointed out that Florida is at a point where it can either go big or go home, so to speak, as I think Richard Corcoran said when he was going to run for governor. Uh, he, the state has now the opportunity to, to, to embrace these big ideas or to be incremental and try not to be afraid, try not to bother the people like the teachers union too much and cause them to sue over and over again. Although if they do sue over certain things, the state Supreme Court is now at a point that's heavily leaning Republican nominees or appointees. And so, you know, this, this columnist noted that, you know, Florida has got the sweet spot to make things really happen that other governors didn't even really have. And so a lot of these things could happen over time. And, and Florida is once again, towards the forefront of the education reform movement. Definitely. And I, I do kind of share that sentiment that, you know, this is really only the beginning. Uh, we just marked DeSantis's first 30 days in office yesterday, believe it or not, um, even though it feels like it's been much longer. Um, and so I think that really, as, as someone who covered his campaign, the state is still just getting to really know who he is uh, because he was such an unknown going into the office. Uh, the the press is really just starting to get in, getting to know who he is. The legislature is just starting to get to know him. And it's not even session yet. <laughs> it's just committee weeks. So there's a lot still to happen. But I do think that the, the past few weeks have been laying the groundwork for the kind of reforms that the governor wants to see. And we've kind of started to see where the legislature is following. But again, it's all still very early. Well, Emily, on that note, I think that we could go on and talk about the legislature, but we won't because we've <laughs> covered so much stuff already. And like you pointed out, it's just committee weeks. There'll be plenty of time to talk about the bills on Bibles and controversial science and term limits and all that stuff. So what do you think? Should we call it a day? I think so. We'll have plenty more to talk about later. And we will. So thank you, Emily, and we'll talk again soon. That's the end of our conversation and the end of our podcast. If you'd like to participate in it, please go to our Facebook page where you can comment all you like on the link to this podcast. It's Tampa Bay Times Gradebook. To keep up on the latest Florida education breaking news, we're bringing it right to you on our blog, tampabay.com slash gradebook. And please, please, somebody, send me some ideas of what you'd like to hear on this podcast. Besides what I've already been bringing to you, we're past 100 podcasts now. Want to keep on going? Love your ideas if you have any. I'm reporter Jeff Solacek. Thanks again for listening.